I doubt there would be somebody in this room, and please, if you are here, please don't do this, but I doubt there's anybody here who, if you didn't believe in a hell, you probably wouldn't stand up in this assembly and say, you know what, I really don't believe in hell. I would assume, and I am assuming, that the vast majority of individuals here today, you at least would say, Christian, I believe in a literal hell. I believe that what the Bible teaches about hell is accurate. I believe that there is a place that is eternal, that burns with fire forever and ever. I believe as Jesus described in the Gospels that it is a place of outer darkness. I believe there's a hell. There is a hell. But here's the question. So what? What's the big deal? What does that mean for us? Nobody really in our church is debating the existence of hell. But what's the big deal? Right? I mean, as long as I'm not going there, as long as I'm born again and I'm on my way to heaven, what's the issue? Why in the world would you preach a sermon to Faith Church on a Sunday morning about hell? It's interesting that it shouldn't catch us by surprise that Jesus here in this passage would give us the most in-depth, lengthy discourse on hell found anywhere in the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself addressed the subject of hell three times more than he ever addressed the subject of heaven. So I want you to look at what he says about hell in this description of hell in Luke 16 verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day. In other words, he lived extravagantly. He had plenty of money, was blessed beyond measure financially. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. Now, gang, stop right there just a moment. Don't let the term Abraham's bosom scare you. Don't let it frighten you. Don't let it confuse you. There are all kinds of interpretations as to what that means. Some say that it was a Jewish euphemism for, the, for heaven, for the presence of God, being in the presence of God. One writer says that Abraham's bosom, that the, Jesus used this terminology, the rich man refers to seeing Lazarus in Abraham's bosom because of the Jewish connection and father Abraham, Abraham being recognized as the father of the Jewish race. 
And that in the mind of the rich man, that he was shocked, perhaps, that the beggar Lazarus was in heaven while he was not. And so he sees Abraham and he sees uh, the beggar who is right beside Abraham in close proximity to Abraham in eternity, in the afterlife. The point of the passage is not to confuse us. The point of the passage is to point out that this rich man, in spite of the fact he was a Jew, he wound up in hell. And in hell, verse 23, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom, or Lazarus, we would say, right next to Abraham. And he, the rich man, cried, notice this, and said, Father Abraham, he addresses Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime you receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted. That's a precious word. But thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. The word there, gulf, is the word chasma. It's the word we get our word chasm from, and it means an impassable span. A span that is incapable of being crossed. And what Jesus is wanting us to understand is that once somebody is in that place of eternal punishment called hell, once they are there in that state, listen carefully, there is no remedy. There's no exit door, we would say. There's no way to get out. This debunks the teaching of purgatory. This contradicts any, any type of idea that, that someone would go to hell temporarily and then be allowed to get out after serving a certain segment of time. Jesus said there's no way to pass between the two. That once you are in heaven in the presence of God, you are there in heaven in the presence of God for all eternity. But once a sinner who has rejected the gift of grace. Friend, once they're in hell, they are there forever. There is no remedy. There is no longer a choice or a chance or an opportunity to be removed. Verse 27, then he said, I pray thee therefore, this is the rich man, I pray thee therefore, Father, Father Abraham, he's speaking to Abraham, that thou wouldest send him, who's him? That's Lazarus. 
please, can you, can you hear the intensity? There's no way I could even try to imitate the intensity that I believe would be contained in that man's voice. Would you please send Lazarus to my father's house? I have five brothers, five brethren. Send him to my brother's house that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. Verse 29, And Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, 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 nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, then they would repent. Verse 31, And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So there is a hell, but so what? First of all, know with me today, based on the text, I want you to listen very carefully today. Hell is the just punishment upon sinners who reject Christ as Lord. Please, please think about that statement. You're like, no duh, Sherlock, I know that. Well, think about the statement. Who is it that is in hell? Non-Baptist, non-churchgoers, no. Non-Americans, no. Who's in hell? I want you to understand with me this morning. There are going to be a lot of Americans in hell. There are going to be a lot of Baptists in hell. There are going to be a lot of free will Baptists in hell. There are going to be a lot of Church of God in hell, a lot of Methodist folks in hell, a lot of Presbyterians in hell, a lot of Catholics in hell, a lot of Republicans in hell, a lot of Democrats in hell. You see, the inhabitants of hell have only one thing in common. It's not ethnicity. It's not political affiliation. It's not denominational tags. It's not whether or not they were baptized or whether or not they were confirmed or whether or not they were church members. It's whether or not, here it is, whether or not they trusted in the merits of Jesus Christ alone for their soul salvation. That's it. To not recognize the justice of hell is to not recognize the infinite holiness of God and the utter injustice of sin. Our God who is infinitely holy will not, listen carefully, will not Turn a blind eye to sin that is so, such an affront to his holiness. That's why I use the word the injustice of sin. I'm afraid, my dear friend, that we don't feel the full weight of man's sin.
We don't recognize how heinous it is, how horrible it is, how hurtful to God and God's heart that it is. It is said all the time, and I know you've heard it and so have I, but Brother Christian, how can a loving God allow anybody to go to hell? Hear me now. I want to ask you a better question. How can a just God allow anybody in his heaven? And the only answer is because of his grace. For you to say today, you know what? If that's the kind of God we have, if he's that cruel, then I don't even care to believe in him. Gang, listen carefully. That tells me, my dear friend, I say this in love. I say this respectfully. But that tells me that you understand nothing of the character of God. And I wouldn't either, apart from his word and his grace. Notice the contrast between the rich man and Lazarus. It's interesting that the rich man was blinded by a false sense of self-sufficiency. He allowed his faulty confidence in his natural race. Listen, in other words, he realized he was a child of Abraham. And the Jews believed that as children of Abraham, they were safe. I mean, with the exception of a few wicked Jews like publicans, tax collectors, and, 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 and notorious Jews that were infamous for wickedness and sin, but that pretty much all other Jewish people were safe because they were children of Abraham. And there's no doubt that the rich man, one of the biggest things that stood out to him and to us is his utter shock when he wound up in hell, but Lazarus, he was in the abode of God. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a Jew. I'm a Jew. Abraham is my father. He prided himself in his racial pedigree and religious pedigree. And Jesus, the reason he emphasizes this is to let all of us know, listen carefully, it is not about our racial, our ethnic, our national, or our religious, our denominational history Our relationships. It's about trusting alone in the sufficiency of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That's it. Saved or lost. Saved or lost. Not even rich, poor, black, white, American, non-American. Church member, non-church member, baptized, non-baptized. It has nothing to do with that. It's are you saved? By the grace of God, are you trusting in Jesus Christ alone? Or are you lost? Trusting in yourself. Trusting in your own way. Trusting in a church. Trusting in a denomination. Trusting in a work. Trusting in baptism. Trusting in anything that you're clinging to apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the difference, friend. It had nothing to do with the fact that he was a rich man. That's not why he was in hell per se, even though it is believed that he was trusting in some ways in his riches. 
But Abraham was a wealthy man, okay? And he was in heaven in the, the abode of God. It's not about poverty or wealth. That's not what makes the difference, gang. Listen carefully. There's only one difference maker, and it's not a what, it's a who. It's Jesus. His grace. Oh, friend, what are you trusting in today? It's interesting when you look at Lazarus. He realized his only help and hope was in God. His name means my help is God. My help. God is my helper. He allowed his earthly bankruptcy to lead him to eternal wealth. But the rich man allowed his earthly wealth to lead him down the road to eternal bankruptcy. Because he was trusting in something besides the grace of God. Are you with me this morning? You see, grace was the rich man's farthest thought. Because he didn't think he needed it. But Lazarus knew grace was his greatest need. Where are you this morning? Do you recognize your utter bankruptcy and the fact that you and I stand in desperate, desperate need of the grace of God today? You say, until you reach that point, you're not ready to be saved. And you won't be saved. Because you don't think deep down you really need to be saved. Truth number two. Are you with me? Say amen. Amen. Truth number two. Listen now. Hell is the worst existence possible. I can't overemphasize that. It's interesting. Jesus in Mark 9, 43 through 48 He talks about that it's better to enter into eternal life maimed than to have two eyes, two hands, two feet and be cast into hell. The word hell that Jesus chose to use is the word Gehenna. Gehenna was an actual place. It was outside the city of Jerusalem. It was known in the Old Testament as the Valley of Hinnom. There in the Valley of Hinnom, there was a period in Israel's history where they offered their children upon an altar to the god Molech as a burning, living human sacrifice. And that is even so irreprehensible, it's hard for us to even comprehend that, right? It was so such a cursed time in their history that they cursed the ground, they cursed that land, and they turned that land outside the city of Jerusalem into the city garbage dump for Jerusalem. And so that valley called the Valley of Hinnom was termed and called Gehenna. There in Gehenna, there were always flames burning at the trash dump of the city of Jerusalem. There were always, that's where they would throw the decomposing 
corpses of animals and beggars. And it is very likely, since the Bible doesn't even say in Luke 16 that Lazarus even had a burial, it is very likely that that's where his body was thrown. So there was always smoke. There was always flame. There was always burning flesh. And there's always worms gnawing on the human corpses and the animal corpses there in the city garbage dump. And I'm not being inappropriate or trying to gross anyone out this morning, but isn't it interesting that Jesus, in describing hell, would use this term for hell? And Jesus said, where the fire is never quenched, that word quenched there is the word asbestos. Ring a bell? We use that word to refer to a construction substance that is a fire retardant, right? Jesus, this is the word in the Greek language, asbestos. The the fire is never quenched in hell. Where the worm never dies and is always gnawing. And that fire is never, ever We learn as we study the New Testament and the words of Jesus about hell, listen carefully, that it is literal, it's real, it's a real place. Listen to me carefully, it's just as real as the very building in the room you're in right now. It's infernal. There is an ongoing, never-ceasing, never-ending fire. It's eternal. never ends. It is the complete antithesis of heaven. All that hell is, heaven is not. All that heaven is, hell is not. One writer said that hell is God's cosmic garbage dump and everything that is unfit for heaven is going to be cast into hell. Are you, church, are you listening to me this morning? Why is it that we listen to this and some of you could preach a better sermon on hell than what I could ever preach and yet we are unmoved by the reality of the word of God. Many of us, I'm afraid, will leave this building with a ho-hum attitude to what we've heard. So what? Let's go eat lunch. So what? Let's hurry up and leave. And yet this is the most sobering, sobering thing Jesus could ever preach about. But we've heard it all before, haven't we? It's just another sermon. Just another Sunday. So what? It's unimaginably painful. The rich man says on numerous occasions, I'm tormented in this flame. I'm in torments. 
and there's no relief. Not even so much as one drop of liquid. None. There's nobody to take their finger and dip it in water and put a drop on the lips or the tongue of a parched individual in hell. There's no remedy. Too late. Too late. Total isolation and loneliness. There's a great gulf. There's a great division fixed. Total isolation and loneliness. And then I close with this. Truth number three. Sinners on this side of hell still have opportunity to repent and receive Christ as Lord. (laughs) That's shouting ground right there. If you're here this morning and you're not truly, truly a Christian. Born again. Saved. Oh, you can be. Right now. Don't wait till I get done preaching. Don't wait. You see, no one in hell right now wants their loved ones to join them there. Verses 27 and 28, he begs for somebody to go tell and warn his brothers. I'm telling you right now, I know some individuals in hell. And so do you. They don't want anybody to join them. I promise you. I I believe strongly, unfortunately, I have a dear uncle that is in hell. I verbally tried to share the gospel and witness. I, when I felt like I wasn't making any headway, I was a senior in high school. I, I, I'll never forget it. I even wrote like a five-page letter to him trying to explain the gospel message. He had a massive heart attack and died. I sure hope I'm wrong. But I know this this morning, if my uncle is there, he does not want anybody he knows and loves to join him there. Somebody in hell right now has a loved one and a friend, listen, that you and I know. We work with them. We live beside them. Could we tell them? Could we warn them? We learn also that the Bible is sufficient to warn, convince, and persuade the lost. It's interesting, Abraham said, let me tell you something. If they won't believe Moses and the prophets, by the way, that's the Old Testament scriptures. If they won't believe the revealed word of God, they're not going to believe even though somebody mysteriously, miraculously rises again from the dead and gets out of hell and goes and tells them about it. See, it's not the sensational that people need. It's the revealed word and truth is what people need. 
Jesus so longs for you to miss hell that he suffered your hell for you while he suffered, bled, and died on the cross. He paid it all. He paid every bit. He paid every bit of your hell and the hell for every single person on the cross. For you. You're here this morning. You say, preacher, you know what? You know what? God, the Holy Spirit, has spoken to my conscience this morning. I believe that. I believe that. I want to trust Christ now. I want to be saved now. Let's do this. The sermon's not over. The sermon's not over. Let's do this, though. Bow your head with me, please. Preacher, God the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Let's remain still if possible, please. God spoke to me. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize there's nothing I can do to get myself to heaven. I realize Jesus Christ died for me, paid my sin debt. I repent. I change my mind about my sin. I change my mind about my self-sufficiency. I change my mind about my direction. And I trust Jesus Christ. I believe the gospel message. I believe Christ. I want to trust completely in Jesus Christ this morning. Right where you are, would you articulate a prayer to the Lord? My prayer will not save anybody, friend. Listen carefully. Jesus alone saves. Will you call on him right now? Right now, call on him for grace and mercy. Tell him, go ahead, tell him, I know I am a wicked sinner. Tell him, I turn from my sins. I trust Jesus Christ as Lord alone. Save me, please, Jesus. I give you my life. I give you myself now. Our heads are bowed. You say, preacher, I just called on Christ to save me. I am not ashamed of that. Pastor, I want you to rejoice with me. And I lift my hand and I say, I have just trusted Christ as my Lord. And I am not ashamed. Would you hold your hand up long enough for me to see it? I've just trusted Christ and I am not ashamed. Hold your hand up long enough for me to see it. Please look this way, everyone. That presupposes that everyone in this room professes to be a Christian. So what's the message for us? Carl Henry said that the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Who are we getting the gospel message to?
David Platt said, every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every lost person this side of hell. And inside of every single person is a never-dying, ever-living soul that will exist forever in one or two places, one of two places, heaven or hell. It is urgent. Hear me. It is urgent on the child of God, on the church, on you and me. It is urgent that we get burdened and get busy at sharing this message. Let's do it. I want to ask you today to make that commitment to pray and recommit yourself. Re-embrace the relevance of the gospel mandate. What are we doing with the knowledge we have? We know enough to change the world. And through the help of God, we can. And let's start right here in our own Jerusalem. Start on your street, sir. Start at your workplace, ma'am. Let's start at our house and the house across the street and the house next door. Let's see what God will do. Let's pray together today.